1: Welcome everybody okay we're going to be talking about a really really important subject because it's called a redefining divorce and this is an alternative to what people normally do by hiring attorneys and going through a long litigation process and then throwing themselves to the feet of the judge to decide on just what's going to happen with their money, their children, their lives, how their custody is going to go. Many of these decisions do not have to be, if not all of these decisions, should not be made by a judge in the court. They often need to be made by the adults who created these children and who decided to marry. And so we have, and I'm so fortunate to have special guest Zena Gleason, an attorney in family law, also a mediator, and she owns a uh, company called Redefining Divorce. And it's located in Fullerton, California. And uh, Zena created this to assist redefining divorce, to assist couples through the marital dissolution process after working in uh, lots of litigious family law firms. So mediation, what it does is it eliminates much of the cost, the stress and the fear associated with dissolution. So what Miss Gleason facilitates is quality of life for both the parents, their children and their future. So both parties the parents arrive at their own agreements on their own terms considering their own children in their own time and that means it's not a rush rush process but it can be it's 6 months in california to get a divorce but the fact is it's all owned by the adults and miss gleason is a seasoned mediator also who's over 20 years of experience working with severe drug and alcohol addiction troubled youth family crisis in southern california now you know, when we think about it, what what does she do? Well, basically, the couple makes a decision regarding their agreement, not the judge or the attorney. The couple decides when to meet, how often and for how long when trying to come to an agreement. And so they decide in their own on their own issues, how they want to resolve them. And, and the real the role of the mediator is basically to assist the couple through the settlement process with efficiency and professionalism, knowing how the courts operate. And because the clients are in control, they know exactly how much money they are spending. And by the way, with Xena, the services are a one flat fee. And, uh, you know, the couple sets their own timeline rather than waiting for court dates. And they're far into the future with fewer parties involved and fewer schedules to work around. So it's easier to reach a fair resolution in a timely manner. And I am hoping that this is the way that divorce goes in the future you know child custody mediation is often the biggest battleground so when parents cannot agree on the custody or the visitation issues surrounding their children well then the judge sends them to mediation before hearing the issues and in the mediated sessions the mediator which it's usually only about 20 minutes to a half hour will listen to each side offer up a suggestion to help the parties come to a mutual agreement, and if the parties cannot come to an agreement in mediation, the judge hears the case and usually assigns multiple professionals, which they have to pay for, to the family. At the parent's cost to make a determination on how custody should work. And if you don't know, and if you don't realize, you know, divorce can throw both sides into poverty almost immediately. So, Zena, I've said all these things. I want to welcome you and uh, ask you a few questions. Fantastic. What do you think makes redefining divorce unique to what's out there?
2: Well, I think you've, I mean, you've done a really good job explaining it. I think the most important part about redefining divorce and what sets it apart is our focus on the emotional divorce versus the legal divorce. So we're more focused on trying to get works the couple through the anger and the pain and the resentment that they have for each other based on their history and their past. It's kind of probably led them to where they're at today. Um, and kind of give them some healing, you know, skills and tools and power to be able to move forward in a healthy direction, because even if we're going to divide the title, we're going to separate the title of this marriage, right, so we're going to restore them to single people, they're still a family, and you can't ever take that one away, and so it's important that we focus on the emotional process so these parties can move forward in a healthy manner and, you know, co-parent and still be a family, but it just looks different now.
1: That's Awesome. I mean, you know, and, and that has got to set a lot of uh, calmness in these people to know that they're in charge and that they uh, don't have to freak out about, you know, somebody making decisions for them and doing things like that. Um, how do you, you know, how, what was your goal when you started this approach? Because obviously you were in litigation quite a bit before you actually did this concept. Right.
2: Um, the goal was to protect children. And I wanted to make sure that I could emotionally contain the parents so that their children didn't have to see the chaos that was, you know brewing internally within these two people. And um, I, I also wanted to make sure that, Again, the couple could move forward in a healthy direction because when you harbor angst and you harbor all you know all this negative energy inside of you, it's going to carry on to everything that you do into the future, including how you raise your children. So it was important for me to absolutely. Make sure that these children and were protected. I'm sorry. It was important for me to make sure these children were protected through this process because, you know, the adults are old enough to process the information and the emotions and. They go through their short period of, you know, insanity, which is normal, um, but they're able to get over it at some point in the future. Children, when they're exposed to this type of energy and these types of emotions, don't necessarily know how to process it, and so they internalize it, and it, it causes them a lot of anxiety, and a lot of angst, which is why, you, you know, you get all these kids that are acting out, and they're, you know, getting into drugs and depression and all types of stuff, because they don't know, they don't know what to do with this adult energy that they're feeling.
1: Right. And a lot of times they're cornered into taking sides or having to have secrets or, um, you know, having to be the messenger between mom and dad because they can't talk to each other. And here they are. They have no choice in this matter and they have to just follow it. And it's they are the true victims of divorce. Um, And I've seen the impact enormous on kids from four up to maybe 14 to 15 and even kids older than that. But but the biggest impact is usually somewhere in the pocket when they're starting to individuate. And uh, I don't know what your experience is with that, but that's what I see in counseling.
2: I completely agree with you. I think that's exactly what happens. And, you know, one of, the main, one of the main things that I see that's, you know, devastating is when these parents create an alliance or they, they cause their child to be an ally to them against their other parent. And while it may seem, you know, beneficial to this, the parent at the time, the kids will grow up and they'll end up resenting them.
1: Oh my but it's gosh! It's not I know fair that. to cause your And they're child scarred. To they're scarred because they have to cope with life rather than live. And once again, if they're in that individuation stage, they can't individuate because they're too busy trying to deal with what's going on with their mom and dad and their life situation. Exactly. They're also embarrassed and humiliated because their friends are witnessing their family fall apart. And maybe their friends' families are just fine. And and a lot of times, families will of uh, uh, the friends of the of of the child in the divorce uh, factor. The, the, the parents will shun the child because they don't want that to come to their house. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, and it, it's just enormous. It's enormous impact. and Many people don't think about how important it is for them to put their big pants on and have a dialogue where they're actually constructively going through the process. So how do you see from your perspective, and I know you've seen many, many, many cases – how do you see the impact on your ch- on children's situations? What what have you seen out there that it's done to children?
2: Well, you know, one of the main things that um, I try and get through the parents' mind is that when when they start when the parents start destroying each other in front of these kids, the parents themselves become human. There's a there's a trigger that occurs in a child's mind where you go from mom and dad to human, and that's. You know, I, I always tend to think that the goal is to preserve the parent child relationship, mom and dad relationship, as long as possible, because I think there's a great deal of innocence attached to that mentality. And so when these children see their parents attacking each other and being negative and they feel the energy, um, it causes these kids to just, they have to humanize their parents, which is a devastating process. And the other part of it is when, when these children are watching their, their, their main people, their, you know, their sole source of existence, destroy each other, they fail to learn effective conflict resolution. And they start thinking that the way that this is happening is how everything should happen in the world. I'm going to you know, resolve conflict by screaming and yelling and throwing a tantrum. And so they don't ever actually learn how to effectively communicate and work through the conflict that is you know, the emotional conflict because they've never seen it.
1: Absolutely. And and just, you know, it's amazing um, that you see people like if people are have been uh, subject to a, a, a rape or molestation in childhood, you often find that the same people, the people that have been victimized, turn into the perpetrator out there. And the reason is, and I'll, I'll reflect on back to this on marriage, but the the reason is, is they're trying to figure out why it happened to them. And the same thing happens with children that get victimized by divorce. They don't know why it happened, how it happened. And so they end up throwing themselves into a process where they end up getting divorced many times. And uh, they go into the same process that their parents went into the way that they did. And right. it, it just perpetrates itself generation after generation after generation. Right.
2: Well, I mean, That's- I mean, you know, you know, probably better than me that, you know, People are, are, are creatures of habit to a large extent. And so if they are raised in a conflict uh, environment and all they see is conflict and, and you know, um, fear and hatred and pain, that becomes a familiar baseline for them. And so when these children grow up and they get into these relationships, when they see people who are fearful and painful and aggressive and angry, those are attractive people to them because that's what they're familiar with.
1: Right. So that is why, in my
2: opinion, that's why it's perpetrated, because it's a a familiarity thing for them.
1: Totally. I totally, I mean, it's like that, okay, that is what I'm familiar with. That is home to me, and that's what they migrate to. You know, um, I see a lot of people getting divorced that they aren't sure they want to be divorced. There's enormous amounts of divorces that just sit in the courts and never get resolved. And what's really cool about your process is that there is an opportunity to reconcile without getting the divorce. Can you mm-hmm. talk about that?
2: Sure, that's one of my favorite favorite uh, situations to work with. So I have clients that will reach out to me, and you know they're they're tired they're frustrated you know they they think that the divorce is the answer, but you kind of know within their heart when you listen to them speak that That's not really what they want. They just don't know where else to go. And a lot of the time, these people just need to learn effective communication skills again because somewhere in this process, they lost it. Maybe they never had it. Who knows? But, you know, divorce doesn't have to be the answer just because you guys aren't getting along and just because angst has been growing or whatever. And so when clients come in and they meet with me and we determine that divorce isn't, like, the solid answer um, or the direction we want to pursue – then I reach out to my marriage and family therapists that I work with, specifically the ones that, that focus on reconciliation, um, that are good at teaching communication and compassion and understanding, and I send the clients to these counselors. And the clients will work with them for a period of time. And if they still decide at some point that they want to have something legal occur, uh, then I'll get on board. And what I'll do is I'll prepare an entire like, judgment packet for them. So we'll, we'll go through the entire legal divorce process. But we won't file anything with the court, and at the end they have they have everything they're going to need if they ever want to pursue a divorce. But nothing has been filed with the court, and so they don't need to like. And one of the reasons I like doing this is because it's a lot easier to get people um, to agreements that they're going to be happy with in the future, and that they're going to be happy within themselves in the future when they're getting along, and they still love each other and they're still kind. And so even if that marital relationship breaks down at some point in the future, at least they have this, you know, agreement in place where when they were kind to each other or when they wanted to try and make this work, these were the agreements they came to. So they don't have to go through it all over again.
1: I agree. No, we're going to be coming up to a break in just a little bit, but, I, I, you know, I, I know on the fact that the way I work in my practice with families and with marriage is every argument a person is ever going to have is going to be a trust issue. Mm-hmm. and. And if you can resolve trust, then what happens is the marriage reinvigorates because nobody wants to lose someone that they can trust. And many times, the little violations uh, stack up over time, and white lies and all that stuff. And if you can clear the field and reinstate their commitment to each other, a lot of times these people will will bring it back together, and the love will grow. But you can't get that love to grow without the trust factor being healed. And, uh, you know, I, I often see that with the legal process involved in it, they have to click into the reality that do I really want this? And by you presenting those kind of documents to them and the financials and the custody agreement, the legal mm-hmm. agreement, the educational custody, all that stuff that they're going to have to consider, they really begin to step back and take a breath and go, wow, That's this right. is serious. That's and right. uh, so I love the fact that you create hope and And that is a wonderful, wonderful thing, and you also create reality. Now, when you talk about therapists, how is that uh, how is that uh, paid for?
2: So I, when I charge the clients a flat fee, I build in therapy costs. And so I'm generally covering the first three to five sessions per party in this process. And so the money that I would otherwise take for legal fees uh, gets reinvested in the couple via therapy.
1: Wow. So they don't have to pay a dime outside no, of what already they pay paid for. It the flat fee. Mm-hmm. And so flat fee, what does that usually look like? Can you kind of get them an idea what that is?
2: Like the range of the flat fee or the considerations yeah. that I, that I yeah. use to come to the flat fee?
1: No, the, the range of the flat
2: fee. Okay. So the range is actually, it's on a scale and it's it varies almost regularly because the clientele and the, and the demographic changes. So Right now, the general fee is on a sliding scale from 2500 for super simple cases up to 10000
1: for awesome. the more complicated Boy, cases. Boy, that is but a I, heck of is- a lot cheaper than paying two attorneys to do battle and having to run your credit cards up until you can't afford them anymore. Oh, that is oh, fantastic. Absolutely. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about how you end up dealing with these people who are so – Uh, opposed to each other and and heated and in that crazy, crazy moment of wanting to get divorced. Come back.
2: Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel, voiceamericaempowerment.com.
0: Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. Or visit drgbmft.com today. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
1: VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
0: You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's one 1-888- 888 Three four six ninety one forty one. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we are so fortunate. We're talking about redefining divorce. Uh... Dina Gleason is a divorce family attorney here in Fullerton, Southern California. She has a company called Redefining Divorce. And this company we've been talking about does very unique service in regards to doing a one shop, all in one house type of divorce, including counseling if needed. And it gives people the time to make their own decisions rather than go to court and have a judge make decisions for them or have a mediator tell them what to do. So, so Zena, I know how crazy people are when they've decided they're going to get divorced. They're at a tipping point. They're at, I don't care anymore. They're apathetic sometimes. They're mean. They've said all kinds of horrible things, and then they come to you to get a divorce. How do you deal with that?
2: Um, I start by listening. I want to hear the words coming out of their mouth. I want to watch their body language. I want to see their facial expressions. I want to understand what's underlying their words, What's the emotional... You know, I have to emotionally identify what they're feeling inside that's being verbalized, um, and once I can figure what that well, figure out what that is, then I can start kind of addressing um, that issue versus you know the attachment to the house. It's actually it has nothing to do with the house, or the attachment to the affair, which you know is is a very it's a very valid um, you know issue to to have, but. But it's not going to be attached to um, why he can't or she can't have custody of the kids. And so I have to figure out what the underlying emotions are that's causing all the angst and then address those directly and then kind of re-navigate them through, you know, the legal part of it to get them to their agreements.
1: How do you deal when they raise, you know, CPS type of issues and things like that? I mean, have you ever had that happen?
2: Yeah, I have had Child that happen, Protective and Services, I, sorry. About I, that. I um, tell them that they really need to think about making decisions to contact authorities like that, unless there's actually a dire need to. A lot of people will threaten it because they're trying to make a point or they're trying to poke, you know, at their their partner, but people don't understand the implications of reaching out to CPS or the police or anyone else, right, that is going to have a legal authority over an individual. And so I often just let them know, like, you know, it's your right to contact whatever agency you want to contact, but it's not going to be as easy as you think. And there's going to be a lot of ramifications that come back to you personally that you're not going to want to go through and you're not going to want to expose. And so when people are talking about, you know, CPS or, you know, sole custody or child, child evaluators, all that stuff, I'm like, you, you can go for it. But, you know, if you, will, if you don't want someone sitting in your house for six months interviewing you during dinner and watching your family operate and, and seeing every single move you make, then you probably don't want to reach out to these people because that's what's going to happen.
1: And I'll tell you, that's what I do sometimes. I'm a court evaluator, and I can tell you, it's it's humiliating for them to have to justify their lives, and then they have to perform. Basically, you know, they're performing when you're there because they set everything up to make sure that there's nothing wrong and they look perfect. Sure. But you know, it's it's just amazing um, that to have to go through that because people are so angry and so dysfunctional. Um, yeah, it's terrible. You know. The 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 funny thing about, you know, getting people to focus and calm down, I love it when people hate each other when they come to counseling, when they're cussing each other out and they're yelling and screaming because it tells me they still love each other. They have feelings. Right. And And right. when I get apathy, I know we're in a danger zone because that's when someone's made a decision, they made peace with it, and they really could care less at that point. It's hard to get people to come back on that. I always take the temperature of how well we could do based on the apathy factor. But mm-hmm. I also I agree. Um, let them know that if we're going to do marriage, you're either all in or all out. You can't try. you got to act like you're married to be married. And that doesn't mean you have to feel it, but you need to do what a spouse would do. You need to do not meaning that you have to violate yourself and have sex with them or anything like that. But, you know, the bottom line is you, you need to do what parents do. You need to do what spouses do in their communication process. Yeah, do you, you ever go in that direction it. with people or do you ever read off of that? T- those type of factors.
2: I'm sorry, say it one
1: more time. Do, do you ever read off of those type of factors, how well do you think the if it's going to be a divorce or not a divorce?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, if I have, you know, generally it's not – I mean, I, I get fifty-fifty, right? So I get the couples that come in and they're both on board, and then I get the other set of couples who come in and only one is on board, and the one that's on board is generally pretty apathetic, and that's when I have to start figuring out, you know, how do I emotionally protect the, you know, the spouse that is not prepared for this to happen, which is where therapy kicks in. So now, you know, now I have to work with the apathetic spouse to slow their desire to make this happen as quickly as possible down and then, you know, provide an emotional support system for the spouse that doesn't want this to happen to either, you know, get them to a point where they're not, they're not in agreement, but they're willing to, you know, accept the fact that this may, this may happen and then, you know, work with them in that sense. But when I, I agree with you hundred percent, when I get clients who are apathetic or indifferent, there isn't a lot more that you can do at that point because they have just emotionally shut down.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I have a, a great friend who's an attorney who recently told me, you know, it only takes one parent to, or one spouse to get a divorce, and it takes uh, two to make a marriage work. Right. Um, you know, what, what if they don't agree in the end? What if they don't agree on what you've mediated? Has that ever happened? It's very happened?
2: rare. Um, I think once I'm able to establish that trust um, and, you know, that transparency with the couple, it's very rare that they don't come to agreements on all the issues. Um, I've lost three couples um, in nine years to litigation, and wow. that was because I could not get one of the spouses to. It was all about custody, and I couldn't get one of the spouses to understand why, you know, giving their child their children space to start to process this information and process this this, this you know experience instead of forcing them to see them and forcing them to be engaged and involved and. They, they were not happy with me when I was trying to get them to understand that, like, children need time. And so they decided they wanted to go to court and litigate it because the judge would obviously see that they were right. And so, you know, they, the, the spouse that did not leave or that did not want to leave me reaches out after, you know, the litigation's over, and it's generally four to five years. And then, they, you know, the kids have already, like, aged out of the system, and they've, already, they've spent, you know, two hundred to $400,000 trying to figure out an issue that no longer exists.
1: I know, I know a lot of people don't realize that by the time kids are 14, the police aren't going to come out and force them to go to one or the other parent's house. Yeah, um, and 14 they isn't just even don't the age. do that. I mean,
2: it's like anytime the child is able to, um, you know, audibly and concisely and intelligently convey uh, an intention to the court. So 11, 12, if they're able to say, you know, I want to stay with mom or I want to stay with dad because X, Y, and Z, the judge generally, you know, takes that into consideration. And, you know, the the evaluator that's involved, if there is one, or, you know, CPS, if they're involved, like they will generally take this child's um, words into consideration if they can, if they believe this child knows what he wants or she wants.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I testify in court a lot, and I can tell you, so many people do physical custody because of their financial condition and they're yep. concerned about that. They forget the responsibility they have that they brought these kids to the world and the fact that you have to look at where they're at developmentally and who they really need to be with to be at that developmental stage. And it, it's so sad because the finances is all they care about and that's how they hurt each other through finances, but then they, they spill it over into physical custody and then it becomes an emotional roller coaster and it's, it's just... Horrible. Horrible. But, uh, I can also tell you many ter- attorneys see that and they go, money, money, money. Yeah. That's, um, yeah,
2: it's, it's devastating, quite honestly.
1: Um, you know, how how do you integrate psychologists and therapists into the mix when you do it's, this? What 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 do you do? You contact the, them or you give the, the client the, the contact information and let them pick who they want? How does that go?
2: generally varies just depending on what the clients want to do, but typically what happens is I will meet with the clients, um, you know, we'll explore kind of what's going on, what the issues are in the marriage, there might be addiction, there might be, um, you know, infidelity, like there's, a, you know, identify the issues that exist in the marriage, and then, you know, I figure out which, which therapist that I work with do I think can address these issues the best, and so generally out of the gate, before we start anything legal, I ask that the parties meet with their therapist first. And then after um, they go to the first therapy session, then we can start the legal process. And we kind of just weave everything in together because I want the couple to be so for- focused on the emotional process that they, you know, they don't even realize the legal process is occurring. And I tell, people all, I tell people all the time, if I were to sit down and do a legal divorce from start to finish, all the documents, everything, it would take me three and a half hours. That's wow. not what costs money. That's not not why divorce is so tragic. Divorce isn't tragic because the legal process is complicated, necessarily. The divorce process is tragic because people want to fight when they're angry, and they want to be vindictive and mean and spiteful, and spite is very expensive.
1: Oh, my God. It is. I've seen thousands, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars be wasted and wasted and wasted going nowhere Right, they want to prove um, a on point. On this kind of stuff. So, you so, know, when you look at your cost, how is your cost decided on?
2: Well, primarily the cost is decided on the willingness of the couple to cooperate and get along and be kind to each other. If mm-hmm. I'm spending my time when I'm meeting with these people trying to emotionally contain them because they're screaming at each other, then I'm going to charge you for that, and it's really expensive. Right? You're going you're gonna to pay me hourly to calm you down. Which is why I give you therapists who are less expensive than me because, you know, they can take care of that part. And you don't need to spend, you don't need to use my money or use your money or my time to get you, you know, going in the positive direction.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, communication is so big uh, with people. How about, you know, co-parenting? I mean, do you give them any co-parenting tasks or do you just reserve that for the therapist?
2: It, it you know, there's really nothing in this process that's reserved to the therapist um, with, when it comes to, you know, the emotional divorce. And I think you can understand when I say there's a great deal of crossover when I'm working with my clients because they, they, don't, they can't tell that I'm you know mediator versus therapist. So when I answer the phone, the legal question usually occupies about a minute of the 45-minute conversation. Mm-hmm right the, the rest of the 44 minutes are where they're emotionally you know expressing the insanity that is occurring in their in that in that point of time and so what I, what I end up doing is, is I teach them through this process indirectly how to start communicating with each other. You know, restructure that sentence and, and deliver it in a kinder way so that your spouse hears it. Or, you know, don't, don't go at them from this, from this direction because obviously it doesn't work. So try this instead. And so, you know, my contribution to the co-parenting, uh, process is to, is to, you know, Teach them how to effectively communicate together, and then there's therapists. Most, most every therapist that I work with, um, they all have, you know, they're all very good at the educational part of co-parenting, and so they're they're getting it from two sides.
1: Right, and and believe me, co-parenting is something is is something you really have to learn, um, yes. because you have to set those emotions aside, and you have to be able to deal with your ex in the future uh, place where you are. That means that you're no longer with them. You no longer owe them a spousal type of uh, communication, but you do, the, you do owe them communication on your children. You know, uh, another thing about divorce that is, is interesting is when you look at it, that what causes divorce most frequently is affairs, is finances, and is bad communication. Nobody's listening. Same mm-hmm. argument for 20 years. And, and so the deal is all of those all of those factors can be resolved in therapy even an affair can be resolved in therapy if you have two willing parties who want to be married and and the sad truth is you know a lot of people not you know we're never taught how to be married except for by our parents which were in a whole complete different generation than we're in today yeah. and the fact is is that we all do this experientially and make tons and tons of stupid mistakes And the deal is, is that if you are able to learn how to do marriage, then the great thing is, even if you divorce, you learned how to be married. Right. I don't don't know. What are your thoughts on that?
2: I 100% agree with you. Um, And that's one of the reasons the emotional process or the emotional divorce process is so important to me, because if you haven't learned how to be married in this relationship and you don't figure it out right now while you're getting divorced, you're not going to learn how to get married in the second relationship or the third one right which is why you people keep repeating the same bad habits because people are like let's just get divorced it's going to be done and then my world will be whole again and i will know what's going on again but they did nothing to actually address the factors that contributed to the end result which was the divorce
1: totally and so if you, don't mean, those factors, you, you don't address how can you how can you really settle yourself and and justify yourself if you never actually did marriage if you never actually did healthy communication if you never actually did healthy parenting if you never did healthy family if you if you did not power plays in your sex life and all that crazy stuff, if you've done all those stupid things and never done marriage as it is, you don't know the gift that it is. Right. I agree. OK, um, we're going to take another break. Then we're okay. going to come back and I've got all kinds of more questions to ask you, Zena. And I want to thank you for being here. Everybody, please come back. Up to your fullest
2: potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
0: Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951 818 7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Or visit drgbmft.com today. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we have a wonderful family law attorney, Zena Gleason, who owns a company called Redefining Divorce, where she handles divorce in one house, all in one house. And sometimes if it's needed, it includes therapy, it includes some ideas of how to co-parent, how to communicate, and it basically gives the parents the ability and the and spouses the ability to completely control the end result without spending every dime they ever made in their life and be able to move on with their lives. So, Zena, well, welcome back. Thank you for Thank being you. on the show. Thank you.
2: Thanks for having me. Um,
1: do you ever do court-ordered evaluations or have you ever had to do that or been a part no. of that?
2: I have no relationship with the court uh, system other than to get documents filed for the couple.
1: Okay, so you just file the paperwork? Yeah. Okay. Do you plan on expanding uh, redefining divorce to other cities or other states?
2: Yeah, well right now, uh, we we do most of Southern California, and so I have clients that come up from Oceanside, you know, all the way to North Orange County, so Fullerton area. Uh, wow. We are opening up an office right now in San Bernardino County, and so we're taking that area over, hopefully. Um, and I think for now that's probably going to be enough for us to manage. But perhaps in the future we may actually jump into other states.
1: Do you have other attorneys that you affiliate with and work with?
2: Um, sometimes. So I have a I have a group of you know confidant attorneys that I work with when the mm-hmm. clients at the end they want to have their documents reviewed or you know they they want to have they want to ask questions and get legal advice on certain issues. I have a list of attorneys they can choose from, um, and I particularly want them and emphasize that they use these attorneys because i've worked with these attorneys and i know that they're legitimate and i know that they care about the clients and i know they're not going to exploit their emotions and charge them you know incorrigible amounts of money to do simple tasks
1: right and that and that is so i see that so often i just feel bad for people they have to take second mortgages and get equity lines of credit and they end up in debt and bankruptcy it's just amazing what can happen if you get the wrong attorney, or if you get the wrong somebody that, that takes advantage of the fact that you're having an emotional divorce? You know, you have a team of employees. What what are they made up of?
2: So I have um, two directors of client relations, and so those are my girls who. Um, you know they are the they are the they are the first wall like line of you know defense for me when it comes to people that want to call in and figure out if they're going to get free legal advice or they actually want to do mediation or learn about the system and so the numbers that people will call will connect them to you know Jillian or Ginger and those are the two individuals who will answer the questions get the information i need and then deliver that information to me so that i can then figure out you know, do I need to refer these, these, these people out? Do I, do I want to take them in? Do I want to assess what's going on? Um, so those are the two employees that I have. And then, you know, I have a, an, a huge team of individuals that I work with who are not con- – they're, they they're not contract with me and they're not employees, but they are strong referral sources, and those are my marriage and family counselors, my financial advisors, real estate agents, you know, pretty much anyone else they'll need I have a connection to.
1: Now, when, you know, oftentimes people have 401ks and oftentimes in a divorce, there's a separate attorney that handles the 401k because that's a process that they have to go through with the corporation that you work for or the, or the company you work for. How do you handle that part of it?
2: So I think what you're talking about is the qualified domestic relations order when we're going to divide the accounts.
1: Dividing the, the, the 401k, yeah. Right.
2: So um, I you know, my philosophy is to keep every account intact if we can. And so if we can equalize the party's interest in the community um, via another asset, so, you know, you take the 401K and the other person takes the house, and they're almost of equal value, um, Generally, I like to keep it like that. There are, there are, they are, uh, tax ramifications to that because the money isn't necessarily equal, um, at the end. But if we can find ways to keep everything intact and keep it within the community so that, you know, the, the parties can can keep as much money within themselves as possible that's what we try and do but if at some point we have to do quadros and get all that stuff then the parties will hire an independent quadro attorney who's specially trained in doing qualified domestic relations orders and so they'll get those orders done by uh those attorneys and then those those attorneys will send the information back to me and then we file that with the court and then it goes to the retirement account company
1: awesome awesome so you know uh Oftentimes, those, those quattro attorneys aren't, aren't quite as expensive, but that process can be very painful because you can't access the 401k until right. after that process is over. Right.
2: And it, it's generally between, you know, four to six months it takes for the companies to actually process all that stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um, on a financial side, you said you have financial people that assist you. What capacity do those folks step in?
2: Um, so when, after we do the initial disclosures, so there's financial disclosures that are mandatory in California, that, that each party has to identify their income, their expenses, their, the schedule, the assets and the debts. And so once each party is able to deliver that information to me and they, they, everyone sees the information we're working with. Um, if there are questions that the parties have with respect to tax consequences or, you know, how do we invest this money, um, that type of stuff, that's when I, you know, I reach out to the financial advisors who will then come in or review the information. Um, the, you know, the clients will sign a waiver, we'll send the information to the, to the, um, financial advisors and then they might kick back some proposals for the parties based on the assets, how they operate what they look like when they're divided and, you know, what the parties will be paying in taxes or otherwise.
1: I got you. Now, you know, when it comes to alimony, a lot of people don't realize that alimony is something that whoever's paying it can have some kind of write-off. Is that correct? I mean, I'm not sure about that, but in California, is that correct?
2: Well, yeah. So the the receiving spouse has to write it off as income. Mm -hmm. So they pay taxes on it as income. And then the paying spouse um, can write, can write it off.
1: Wow. That's incredible. Um, So do you you factor that in when you talk to them about the formula, about how the, how the, yeah, we factor it in. in. Does also medical get factored in whoever's ending up paying for the medical?
2: So generally what's happening is if, You know, one of the spouses is carrying the the insurance coverage for the family. Uh, They will continue to carry the insurance coverage for the family minus the spouse. So the state of California doesn't allow um, the spouse to cover their other spouse after the divorce is entered. Mm Mm-hmm. And so the, the uh, health insurance, like, let's just assume that dad's covering health insurance. And so the kids are covered under dad's health insurance, and that's usually how it's going to continue on after the judgment. But wife has to, you know, she's got, I think it's 18 months. It might have changed, but I think it's 18 months she's got to, to get onto a COBRA policy or another insurance policy. But, you know, there was a while ago where the insurance companies would allow their spouses to stay on um, the insurance policy policy. Um, even after they were divorced, if that spouse elected to do so, but they don 't allow that anymore Wow, so that you know that gets taken into account also when it comes to support, and so that's you know these are considerations like every what, alimony is designed to cover you know a portion of the expenses that the spouse is going to be assuming as a result of this divorce, and I think a lot of people have the idea that alimony is intended to cover your exact standard of living before you get divorced, which is a complete misnomer because if you think about it, you know, most people can barely afford to manage their one household. So then you you put two households in there and if you expect that, you know, the the you know income earning spouse will be able to now cover two households, like that doesn't that's not financially possible most of the
1: time. Right. Now, <laughs> now oftentimes you'll get a person that feels trapped in their marriage. Because it's a one-sided income, and it's oftentimes it's a female that that's not working or hasn't worked in a long time. They've been raising children, doing all the right things, and then the husband does something stupid, have an affair, does financial or is abusive, whatever. But the deal is, how do you? And they're scared to get divorced, but they want a mm-hmm. divorce. How do you handle that kind of person when they're afraid that they're trapped in their relationship?
2: Well, you educate them, right? And so one of the one of the things I really do appreciate about family law in California is that there is a fiduciary obligation to share the finances with your spouse. And so even if they've never seen it before, they're gonna see it during this process. And that's one of the reasons the financial advisors are so important is because they have an independent third party who can look at all these assets and say, you know, this is what you're working with. This is what this account does. This is where this account started. This is where this, this account ends. This is where the money to fund the account came from. And so you just you educate them on how all of these things are operating over, you know, have been operating over the past 20 years when they weren't paying attention because they weren't, hand- they weren't handling the finances.
1: You know, it's amazing that, that what people don't realize is if they go through your type of a process where you're handling both sides of it and mediating both sides of it for both of their interests, uh, you're seeing both sides rather than what attorneys do oftentimes when one is representing one and another is representing the other, they're only representing the perspective of their client. You're res- right. you're actually addressing the entire situation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What are your thoughts on that?
2: Um. I love doing it like this because um, it gives me an opportunity to cause reflection inside of each individual. So versus, you know, when people are on litigation, it's really easy to point the finger and be like, you know, he he did this or she did this or, and, and find something else to blame other than yourself. And I'm a firm believer that, you know, it's a 50-50 relationship. When that mean, and I mean by that is it took two of you to get married. It's going to take two of you to get divorced. And so, you know, whether you believe your husband or your wife is 100% responsible for whatever, that, that doesn't work in my process. Like, at some point you have to accept the fact that you contributed. What portion of your contribution, that's completely up to you. But, there, you know, we have to address the fact that your spouse is not the, the, you know, the cause of this situation. Like, both of you got each other here.
1: So what kind of perspective do you take, And you know, to keep yourself outside of all the emotional garbage that you get when these people come to you and all their, their paranoia and their fear and, and their, their concerns and their anger? How do, how do you keep yourself from getting engaged in all that?
2: It's not my life. It's not my right to have an opinion about their family. I, was, I didn't live in those four walls. I don't know what happened. I don't know why they, what, what happened to cause them to come to me. All I know is what I'm seeing right now. And At no point do I have any opinion about what caused you guys to get here other than to help you get healthy again and to fix the pain.
1: That is so cool. Now that, So you don't take work home. Yay. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, I don't know if I said that. I, I think that, you know, there's always an emotion. I am very emotionally attached to my clients. I love them. And yeah. there's, there's a really funny saying. that's you know, family law is the best people on their worst behavior, and criminal law is the worst people on their best behavior. Yeah. I love every single Client that I have, and I am all I'm, you know, I'm definitely emotionally invested in their process, but not the legal process. I'm, em- I'm emotionally invested in, in their well being and their health, and I, I want to make sure that when they're done in this process, they have a, li- a little bit of less pain, a little bit of less anger.
1: You know, the judges in family law have so much jurisdiction compared to civil and criminal. Uh, judges, in a sense of levity of what they can or cannot do, because family law is so subjective. What is your opinion about that, and how can that hurt and help people that go to get a divorce?
2: Well, that's a, that's a very complicated question because, you know, it's true that this, the judge is human, right? So, how this case is going to go is. Right, you know, arguably dependent on you know what, how good of an evening the judge had, or and I don't want to dismiss their role, like they definitely no, I have, understand. you know, they're definitely invested in the end result. But you have to remember that these judges are hearing these people fight over and over and over. Forty every cases day. a day, and at some sometimes point they're just like, "Sell the damn house already! <laughs> <laughs> Get out of my courtroom!" Like, you two need to figure this out. Like, and this is the reality. It's like the court system doesn't want to see your face. Right. I bet you if you if you pulled all of these judges in family court and you said, "Would you rather me be here or mediation hands down, they would say, Go to mediation. we don't want to listen to your crazy drama right If you can't figure it out in mediation, sure, come to me, and I'm going to split all of your assets in half because I don't want to hear it. It's the quickest way to get you out of my face
1: but yeah I mean if you think a judge is going to give you justice uh, I don't in family court, I mean it's very rare because if you keep persisting that they make a decision. They're gonna they're gonna lay it down in a way that, that they see it's equal, and it may not be fair. That's
2: that's a fair statement.
1: And uh, the other thing is, when you do these evaluations, like a seven thirty evaluation or a thirty one eleven, which is a custody evaluation, seven thirty incorporates a psychological evaluation. Psychological evaluation can cost ten to or seven to uh, twelve thousand dollars. Mm -hmm. um at the 730 and that's more than your highest price two thousand dollars more than your highest price and that's to get have to go through an evaluation as to whether you're sane or not and what should happen with the kids and that's full investigation including going to your home your friends your family anybody that touches your children all of those things the schools everybody starts to find out about your divorce through a 730 it's so sad that people will allow the system to do that to them rather than just go and deal with it in a situation like yours with redefining divorce. You know, how appreciative have couples and families been in all these nine years you've been doing it this way through redefining divorce, Zena?
2: That's a funny question. I was just talking to my girlfriend about it the other day. Um, there are there are definitely clients who are very grateful at the end of this process that I know I was able to impact. And then there are clients who I'm pretty sure want to kill me. At the end of the process, (laughs) even though, like, I did the best I could and we got them through it and, you know, they're probably better individuals. And so in my mind, I'm like, oh, God, they cannot stand me and I'm super sorry about it, but, you know, I did my job. And then I get, like, 12 referrals from them in the future.
1: Right. And I'm like, well, I guess you
2: didn't actually hate me. That's good news. You probably could have told me, you know, because I've been harboring a little bit of angst, but cool.
1: Yeah. I mean, So generally, people are
2: pretty happy. Um, You know, there's always going to be the spouse that doesn't feel like that feels like they got the short end of the stick or whatever. But that's just that's a per, that's a personal perspective that people will take on every issue in life. They, and they so go. it's you know it's not a redefining divorce issue. But if you feel like you got the short end of the stick and you were involved in this entire process, that's not my responsibility.
1: Totally, you totally. Um, and they and they have to remember that you have to take account for their children if they have children. And that that's another that's a third or fourth or fifth or sixth or whatever voice into the problem. Right. Zena, I want to thank you for being on the show. Uh, you, you've done a great job in answering all these questions. If you need to if, and would like to schedule a consultation or even learn more about how Redefining Divorce can help you, I would love for you to give them a call or submit your contact information at uh, uh, redefiningdivorce.com. And, and I know they would love to speak to you. In Orange County, it's 562-230-1528 or 714 714- 365 And in San Bernardino, it's 951-203-9688. That's our show. Our next show is Myths and Lies of Psychology. I want to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you, drgbmft at sbcglobal.net or Twitter at drgbmft. Now, remember, you know you have a great divorce attorneys when the firm's name is Ditcher, Quick, and Hyde. And when you have multiple divorces, the best advice is to find an attorney that gives you a buy one, get the next one at half off. And you know you did the right thing when your first orgasm is when you got the divorce paperwork. Thanks for listening, everybody.
0: That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you.